morning. Good. It's great to see you. You're a good-looking group. Why don't you just tell your neighbor, tell the person sitting next to you, tell them you sure look better than the last time I saw you. Just let them know that. We're, um, we're excited and uh, just want you to, um, this weekend is, is a Christmas weekend at the gate. And I know that they mentioned that to you, but I just want you to catch uh, the heart. There's a, there's a why behind we do uh, some of the things that we do. And so Christmas Eve is just a super special time for us every year as the gate family. And so it's, a, it's an incredible service. It's just an hour long at five o'clock and we're going to be in person uh, with our families. We'll have uh, some childcare for the little ones, but your kids, your older kids can be in uh, service with you. We'll have communion together as a church family. You and your family can have communion together. And then on Sunday, the way that Christmas fell, we want you to be able to be with your family in your home on Sunday the 26th. And in that online service, we'll receive communion in our homes together as a church family. And so that does a lot of things for us. It allows you to spend the day after Christmas with your family in your home and still honor Jesus. It also gives all of our volunteers. We're so grateful for the people that serve in media, that serve in children's, that serve in uh, the, 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 as hosts, that serve in parking lots and all over. Just to put a service on here, so many people give so much of their time. We're grateful for each and every one of them. And doing the service on the 26th gives us an opportunity to say to them, hey, just spend time with your family. You're still going to work Jesus, you're still going to be a part of your church family and receive communion at home. So it's going to be a great weekend. I want you just to embrace that whole weekend experience at the gate. It's going to be a fantastic time. And we want you and your family to just have an incredible weekend that's just full of joy and gratitude for Jesus and all he's done. So it's going to be a great time. Can you say amen? amen. Can't wait for that. Um, They'll, uh, they, they've got some other things for me to remind you about at the end, so we'll do that as well. But I, I want to, uh, I want to jump into the uh, word this morning. I have been really enjoying our time talking about unwrapping the names of Jesus, and uh, Pastor Jordan shared with us about the mighty God and uh, how Jesus, I love what he shared last week about how Jesus just sort of redefines how we understand what it means to be strong and to be mighty and how God's might shows up in our lives. And so in our passage, if you'll grab your Bibles or your devices or whatever you read on in Isaiah chapter 9, verse number 6. We're going to continue progressing through this list of names that Isaiah prophesies is, is coming to us. And so verse number six, he says, for a child has been born for us, a son given to us, authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. 
the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, and today we're going to focus on the name Everlasting Father, and we're going to unwrap that name today. I want you to look at one more verse in the New Testament with me. They'll put it on the screen for you. In 1 John chapter 2, in verse number 13, John writes to the churches that he's pastoring and he says, I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful to you today for your presence, your grace and your goodness to us. And Lord, we acknowledge our need for you today. We need to hear from you. And Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for this family that's joined us here in the building and that those that have joined us online. We're lifting our hearts to you. We're putting our expectation on you today. And we're saying, Lord, we need to hear from you. So speak to us and give us ears to hear what you're saying. We want to know you. We don't just want to know your names, but we want to know who you are. We want to experience who you are today. So Lord, we ask you to grant that to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Well, if you haven't been with us in the past few weeks, I encourage you to jump on YouTube and catch those messages about the mighty God and about the wonderful counselor. Um, we've been talking about the names of God and the names of Jesus. And this is one particular list of the names that God gives us of himself. But how many of you know, if we wanted to preach about all the names of God, we'd have to take a whole lot more than the first few Sundays before Christmas to do that. Because the Bible is a story of God introducing himself to his people and joining them in their journey. And when you read the Old Testament, you need to understand that what's happening is, is that God is getting in people's story with them. And so uh, several, several weeks ago, Pastor Kathy shared a message with us about staying in our story. And what really roots us in an ability to stay in our story is two things. Number one, we recognize that God has joined us in our story. That was a good place to say amen. God has joined us in our story. But more importantly than that, that God has made us a part of his story. So that God says, I want my history not to just be my history alone, but I want my history and your history to be the same history. And that's how God saves us. In order to do that, God enters into our life and he joins us on our journey. I want to make sure that from the onset this morning, you realize that this is really personal and this is really applicable to your life. That means your journey. That means your story. If you're 18 years old or if you're 81 years old, you're on a journey. You're living out a story. And the Bible tells us that regardless of how beautiful you think that story 
he is, regardless of how worthy you think you are, God chooses to join your story. He chooses to join you on your journey. It would be one thing if God said, I'm on my journey and you're on your journey, but in order to be saved, you have to get on my journey. But that's not what God does. God says, you're on the wrong journey and I'm on my journey, but I want you on my journey so bad, I'm going to get in your journey and turn it into my journey. And so God in doing this has to help us understand who he is. So we're entering into this relationship. Have you ever had those awkward conversations with somebody that you kind of sort of know? They happen at church a lot. You know, you know who they are, you know your, their face, you see them around, but you're not really sure what their name is. We got 15 honest people in church. I got 15 amens right there out of a congregation of uh, several hundred people. So, you know, you know that feeling. And so you can be in relationship with someone. You can know a little bit about their history, but you don't know their name. And so you have to get through that awkward moment where you say, you know, tell me your name again or remind me of what your name is. Why? Because I want to know who you are. I want to know what, but, but, but here's the interesting thing about God is that God is giving us his names in Scripture. And I want you to catch this, like God isn't giving us his name because somebody named God. Like nobody gave birth to God and then said, oh, look, there's God. He's cute and he's in a hospital. Let's name him Jehovah or let's name him God. That didn't happen. Like God doesn't need a name. Before anything ever was, God was. God is not insecure. He is not, he doesn't have an identity crisis. And so when God gives us God's name, he's not doing it for God's sake. He's doing it for our sake. He's not saying, hey, let me, uh, let me give you my name so that you know how to call my name so that I'll pay attention when you call. It's not like God's giving us his phone number. Are you with me? But what God is doing is he's doing something for our benefit. Because every time God tells us, hey, this is my name, he's telling us, watch this, something about what he can do, something about what he's capable of, something about his character and his nature, but he's also identifying, don't miss this, our need. So every time God tells us a name for himself, he's also telling us something about a need that we have. Because if we didn't have the need, God wouldn't be giving us the name. Sometimes when God gives you a name for himself or you read about a name of God in Scripture and you go, I don't know why in the world God has named that, all that means is that you haven't hit the point on your journey yet where you're going to need that name. But if you'll just keep walking, you need to put that name in your file. You need to put it in your mental index and remember God said he was this so that when you get to a point, a moment in time, you'll remember. God said he was this, and therefore I have nothing to fear. Am I doing all right? So what's really beautiful about this is that when you go back to the early parts of the story of Scripture, God uh, allows people to get in on the naming process with him. 
So it's not just God telling everybody what his name is all the time. You know, my name is this. I'm Jehovah Jireh. I'm Jehovah Rophi. I'm your healer. I'm your provider. There's some of that. But then there's also these interesting points in Scripture when someone experiences something and then they say, because I experienced that, I know this is who God is. And what's really interesting about that is when you start looking at the people who did that. And so one of the first persons who did that is a lady by the name of Hagar in Genesis chapter 16. And Hagar is like a minor character in the plot. She doesn't even have a starring role. She's less important than Sarah. She's less important than Abraham. But she's one of the first people who actually names God. And she's also the first woman in Scripture who God ever calls by name. Now let me tell you who Hagar is. Hagar is a slave woman. She is a, a miss, she is someone who is, is a part of a household that is there just to serve. And these are in ancient times. They're, they're not modern values that are going on here. And so she is just at the disposal of Abraham and Sarah. But let me tell you what Scripture is trying to tell us about God is that when God wants to reveal Himself, He often goes by all the important, powerful people, and He goes all the way down to the bottom of the social stratus, and He says, I'm going to reveal myself not to Sarah and not to Abraham, but I'm going to reveal myself to Hagar. I want Hagar to know that I'm paying attention to her. I want Hagar to know that the creator creator of the universe is noticing what's going on in her life. So Hagar has this moment where she's treated badly by Abraham and Sarah, and in Genesis 16, they kick her out of the house. And when they kick her out of the house in an abusive type of scenario, she gets kicked out of the house by the people who are supposed to represent God. I've been hearing a lot of things in society these days about people who are hurt by people who are supposed to be representing God. We, we have a lot of pain in our society, and I think it's real pain. I don't think it's pain that we should dismiss. We need to recognize and we need to hear people when they say, I've been hurt by people who were supposed to be showing me what God was like, but they kicked me out of their house instead. I was, I was supposed to be encountering God through these people, but now I've found myself outside and alone. And God shows up and speaks to Hagar by name. And he says, Hagar. And she says, I've had this encounter with God, and now I'm going to name God. He's the God who sees. That's a pretty good name. Because there's sometimes that what we need to know more than anything is that God sees what I'm going through. Because there's moments in our life where we feel like no one sees, no one cares, no one knows what the pain I'm going through, no one knows exactly, and nobody cares. But Hagar found out that in the moment in my life when I felt like no one cared about what I was going through, there's a God in heaven, and I'm going to give him this name. He's the God who sees. 
And you know what God did in response to that? He said, that's right, Hagar. I am the God who sees. I'll take that name. You have experienced me rightly, and I'll take that as one of my names, and I'll put it in a record for thousands of generations and thousands of years to know there was a woman named Hagar who discovered that there is a God, and he is a God who sees. You say, what does this have to do with, with Christmas? And what does this have to do with unwrapping the names of Jesus? Because the way we unwrap the names of Jesus is by beholding the names of God and experiencing new dimensions of what God is doing in our life. And at Christmas time in Bethlehem at the manger, it's interesting to me that the people who are always getting in on what God is doing are not the powerful are not the wealthy, are not the well-known, not the people with 15 million followers on Instagram. Luke in his gospel in chapter 3, he tells us that in the year that Augustus was Caesar and Quirinius, and he names all these different emperors, every little region, like he names the county commissioner of every county in the region. And he names and he makes sure he names them so much that we just kind of wonder, like, what's the point, Luke? And then he gets past all those important people and he says, the word of the Lord came to John in the wilderness. And Luke wants us to notice that what happened was the word of the Lord was released from the mouth of God and it went right by all of the Caesar's people. It went right by Caesar's palace. It went right by all the wealthy and it found a man in the wilderness named John. A man no one had ever heard of, a man no one had paid attention to. But John began to discover that God is about to do a new thing. And when God is going to get a new get to do a new thing, you need to watch this, pay attention, because if you want to get in on the new thing that God is doing, you don't need to get high, you need to get low. Jesus isn't born in Jerusalem. Jesus isn't born in Rome. Jesus isn't born in a powerful center. Jesus is born in Bethlehem. And Micah prophesied and said, it's you, Bethlehem. Oh, little, tiny, unimportant Bethlehem, because God wants us to learn something about himself, that he's not impressed with the way the world identifies what's important. And God's going to show up in our lives on his own terms and in his own ways. And if you don't have your eyes open and you're not humble enough to recognize that God might be showing up in the lowly ways, then you can miss what God is doing. You see, when we say that God is a wonderful counselor, we are saying that because we first recognize we are not wise. We need wisdom. When we say that God is a mighty God, we are first saying that we are not strong, we are weak, and we need strength that is not our own. I know this isn't really popular today to preach this way, but I'm, I'm going to go ahead and do it. What I'm trying to tell you is that the first step in unwrapping a name of God is recognizing that that name identifies my need. So I'll never successfully unwrap that name as long as I think I don't have a need. 
maybe I don't have a full revelation of who God is is because I think I've got it all figured out on my own. If I think I'm wise, I'll never unwrap the wisdom of God. And if I think I'm strong, I'll never discover the strength of God. And if I think that I am not in need of a father. So, everlasting father, we say that and we recognize God gives us this name because we are orphans. And we need an identity that is not our own. So we need a wisdom that's not our own. We need a strength that's not our own. But we need an identity that's not our own. We need an everlasting father. We need a perfect father who can, who can wrap his arms around us and say, you know what? Here's why you're important. You're not important because you have a degree. You're not important because you did well in school. You're not important because you're successful. You're important because I see you and I love you and I call you mine. Can I tell you that one of the, one of the most... Maybe, maybe important ways that I could articulate the gospel to you this morning is just simply this, that God claims you. That God looks at you and says, that's my people. I want that person. God says, I want you. Would you let that get deep in your heart this morning? Just let that sink deep into your soul. That the God, the creator of heaven and earth says, he says your name and he says, I want you. I want you. I want you. I'm coming after you. So, God is revealing. So, here's the thing. Humility is, is so important in the, in the Christmas season. So, I want to say it to you like this. Humility is the key that unlocks our understanding of who God is. So, it's not that, it's not that uh, God, when I don't have humility, it's not that God says, well, he's not humble. So I'm not going to give it to him. You need to understand something about God's disposition towards you and me never changes. God is always in a disposition of grace and love and mercy and willingness to reveal himself. But humility opens the heart up to God's grace. But pride closes the heart down. So it's not that God says, well, you're full of pride, so I'm not going to tell you who I am. It's that God's telling you who he is, but you're so prideful, your heart's so closed, you can't hear and see who God is. And if you can't hear and see who God is, you can't experience who God is. Are you doing all right this morning? And so, so what does it mean to say that God is an everlasting father. We're talking about unwrapping the names of Jesus. And of all the names in the Isaiah list here, this one is probably the most complicated. It's one that has caused more questions for theologians and people who study the scriptures because we're talking about the names of Jesus. He's the wonderful counselor. Jesus is the mighty God. He's the prince of peace. But then we know Jesus is the son of God. But Isaiah tells us that, that this, this manifestation, this son who is going to be born and this child who's going to be given, he is going to be an everlasting father. And so we have to really work at this and, and, and begin to understand that what Scripture is telling us is that when Jesus came, he came as the exact representation of his father. 
So Hebrews chapter 1 and verse number 3 says that in various ways and in times past, God spoke to us through the law and through the prophets and through the fathers. But in these last days, God has spoken to us through his son. And the son is the express image of the father and he is the exact representation. So if we want to know what God is like, all we need to do is look at Jesus. We don't have any more questions. All we have to do is say, what is God like? What does God think about? What is God, how does God respond? We look at Jesus and Jesus is the representation of who the Father is. So Jesus is the Son who comes a fully mature son, a perfect son, and a perfectly mature son will perfectly express and represent so that Jesus, when he's on the earth in the gospels, says to his listeners, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. And his disciples came to him and they said, Jesus, show us the father and we'll believe. Show us the way to the Father. And we'll believe in Jesus says, why are you asking me to show you? Because if you've seen me, then you don't need to see anything else to know what God is like. There's no more secrets to disclose. And he said, I can't show you the way to the Father because I am the way. There, there is no way other than me. So Jesus is saying, if you don't like what you see in me, and you look for another way, you're going to run into a dead-end street. So this is important for us to remember, and I'm trying not to get too far off track here, but I feel like i got a good rabbit to hunt right now. How many of you know sometimes when you go hunting, you just got to, I don't know nothing about hunting. So I better stop that analogy right dead in its tracks. But I feel like I'm on to something. Because what, what can happen is, is that we can, we can hear somebody preach and say, yeah, God is just like Jesus. And then what we do is we gravitate toward all the parts of Jesus that we like. But we ought to embrace the whole thing. So the same Jesus who says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Everybody loves that Jesus. I love that Jesus. I'm grateful for that Jesus. I'm in that line. I'm coming to Jesus. Amen. I didn't like come to Jesus when I was 10 at a youth camp. I'm coming to Jesus every day. Lord, I'm heavy laden. I'm worn out. I need some rest right now. Can you give it to me? How many of you know that's an everyday invitation? I don't know about you. Maybe you're more spiritual than me, but for me, that's every day. But how many of you know the same Jesus said, if anyone wants to be my disciple, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. I don't hear as much about that Jesus in 21st century American church. I hear a lot about the invite Jesus into your heart, Jesus. But I don't hear a lot about the deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, Jesus. I just simply want to remind you this morning, that's the same Jesus. <laughs> and, and he is the exact representation of what God is like. 
So that means that God loves you. God will wrap his arms around you that you can come to God anytime, no matter what state you're in, and he will give you rest. But it also means that God is going to invite you on a journey in which you'll have to say no to yourself. You'll have to embrace sacrifice. You'll have to give your life away, and you will do it following Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let me try to get back on track. I want to, um, so Jesus in, in, in this sense, in this, in this sense, Jesus is what Paul calls the firstborn over all creation. And so, so I want you to catch this because we, we drastically so often, and it, it pains my heart, that we reduce what Jesus and the good news of the gospel is really about. And we reduce it to things that are good and of themselves, but they're much, much, uh, I just say it to you like this, the gospel is, is widely proclaimed, but it's greatly reduced. I've never, we never lived in a day where you couldn't, the gospel access is more, I mean, you just get it. It's on your phone. It's on the radio. It's on TV. It's on the internet. It's on your daggum, you know, your Instagram scroll thing just pops up. People just preaching at me all the time on Instagram. Just gospel, 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 preach, 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 preach. It's widely proclaimed, but it's greatly reduced. So here's what I want to say to you this Christmas at the Gate Church. We want to press in to something weightier than simply Jesus came. And so my sins can be forgiven and I can go to heaven when I die. How many of you know that's good news? But how many of you know Jesus came for a whole lot more than that? Jesus, Jesus is the father over all. He's the firstborn over all creation. That means that Jesus came to birth a new kind of human being. A new, a new way of being, a new species of human being so that we could become what God always intended us to be. And that's why to come to Jesus, it literally requires for us to lay our old life down in baptism and receive Jesus' new life so that we are born again. And now it is not the old Lauren or the old Stephanie or the old whoever. It is the new creation that Jesus is living through me now. Are you with me? Yes. And so, so it's so much fuller. And when we think about the everlasting Father, we've got to think about Jesus' mission in our life in a new way. And here's what I want to do. I want to draw your attention as we get ready to kind of kind of round toward home here. I want to draw your attention to the prodigal son and the parable of the prodigal son this morning. Yeah, I hope you're familiar with that story, but if you're not, I know some people may not be familiar with that, and that's okay if you're not. It's a very easy story to understand. There's a father. There's two sons. He does well. They got lots of, they're, they're, they're a wealthy household. One son, the youngest son, he says, Dad, I want my inheritance now. It wasn't time for him to get his inheritance, so his dad responds to him, says, you can have it. He gives it to him. The young son leaves the house. He goes off, he goes off and, and uh, spends all of the inheritance. Now he's broke. He's working uh, for somebody else in a foreign country. There's a famine in the land. Now he's in a pig's pen eating the same food that pigs are eating. It's kind of like rags to riches. And so there's the father and the elder brother are back in the house. You remember the story of the prodigal son? Was that a good little recap right there? Is everybody on track now? Luke chapter 15. You can read it after church if you want to. So, so, uh, so the story of the prodigal son is so important because here's what we've done with 
the story of the prodigal son. When I was preparing this week, I just really felt directed to kind of open this up in a new way. So what we've done is we've said, yeah, I get it. I'm the prodigal son. I've made mistakes, I've walked out on God, I've done things wrong, and when I come back, God is waiting on me, He's the Father, He embraces me, puts a robe, a ring, and sandals on my feet, and it's a wonderful story, right? But what I want to maybe uh, just open up to you at another level this morning is that the prodigal son is not just telling us about our fallen condition. It's doing something really unique. It's a really, really important story that Jesus tells. And he's not only drawing attention to the prodigal son, but he's drawing attention to the elder brother. And not just in the way so that we can say, what a terrible person, that elder brother, you don't want to be the elder brother. He's drawing attention to the elder brother because in the story, the elder brother is showing us what Jesus is not. See, this isn't just a story about you and your journey. This is a story about humanity and everyone's journey. And there was a son of God whose name was Adam. And Adam walked out on God and left the Garden of Eden by choosing his own way and wanting to do things his own way. And oftentimes we think that Adam is the firstborn son, but the truth of the matter is Adam is not the older brother, Adam is the younger brother because there was a son of God who existed before Adam was created. So when Jesus tells us the story of the prodigal son, he's showing us what an elder brother should do but does not do. And he's wanting us to notice that Jesus is the true elder brother. Jesus is the elder brother as it should be because when Adam walked out of his father's house, Jesus was the older brother in the father's house with the father, and he did not remain in the house like the older brother in the prodigal son, but he did what an older brother should be do. And he said, my brother is lost, so what I'll do is I'll go find him. Yeah. I don't know if this is helping you, but this is helping me. Because he said, I'll go find him and I'll represent the father to the lost son. So when Jesus comes, he says, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. Because in Adam, all of humanity was lost, and our lostless always has to do with our misunderstanding of what God the Father is like. You see, the prodigal son is in the pig pen, not because he's run out of money and not because he's rebellious, but he's still there because he doesn't understand what his father is like. And he thinks if he goes back home to his father, his father's going to give him a lesson. His father's going to give him a whipping. His father might one day let him back in the house. He doesn't know what his father is like. And Jesus understood that humanity is lost in sin and death. And the reason they're lost is because they don't really know what the everlasting father is like. So he stepped out of heaven and he stepped into earth and he said, if you you've seen me, you've seen the Father, and they didn't understand what he meant. So he said, nail me to a tree, and I'll say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then he said, that's what God is like. 
God loves you so much that he would die for you. Not that he would die for you, but that he did die for you. And on the cross, not just Jesus, but God died, gave his life for you. God is better than the father in the prodigal son story because God isn't just waiting for you to get back to the porch. God is dispatching his son to go get you and bring you back to the father's house. Let me say it to you like this in case you quit listening. Jesus isn't trying to get you to go to heaven when you die. Jesus is trying to get you back to the father. I didn't make that up. Jesus said that. He said, I have come to bring you back to the Father. Jesus' mission in your life is to represent the Father to you and bring you back to the Father. At the end of Jesus' life, he says to his disciples, he says, I'm going to my Father and to your Father. I'm going to my God and to your God. Jesus has accomplished his mission. And he's full of joy because he's saying, it's finished. Now you can have the same relationship with God the Father that I have. You can come back into the house. So let me help you out. I know that was kind of theological and a lot of stories. Let me, let me help you out. So what does this mean for you? What this means for you and what this means for me is that I'm going to say something. And I want you to hear me out. Everybody has a father. Everybody's got an earthly father. Now you say, well, you don't know my story, you know, and I'm telling you, you got a father. He might have been a bad father. He might have been an absentee father. He might have been an abusive father. He might have been a father that was all caught up in work and didn't have time for you. Or he might have been the best father you could ever imagine, but everybody's got a father. You say, well, I don't know who my father was. Well, my dad doesn't know who his natural father was, but you don't get here without a father. You don't get here without a father and a mother. You don't get here without seed and womb. That's just how biology works. Do I need to break this down for you? So your father could have been a lot of things. And a lot of times our fathers skew our understanding of what the everlasting father is like. But here's, what I, here's the good news I got for you today. Your father might have been abusive. He might have been negligent. He might have been selfish. He might have been, uh, he might have been absentee. He might have been an alcoholic. He might have been running around with all kinds of other women. He might have left you when you were two. But all those things, your father might be the best guy you've ever known in your life. But let me tell you what's true of all those fathers, every single one of them, they are temporary. That's right. <laughs> they are temporary. So why is that good news? Because whatever damage and whatever harm and whatever pain came into my life because of the faultiness of a father, it's temporary. And what Jesus does is Jesus comes and says, give me all your temporary pain. Give me all the sin that came from your temporary father. And let me introduce you to a perfect father. And the really good news is he's not just perfect, he's everlasting. Jesus introduces us to this everlasting Father. And here's the, here's the last thing I want to I leave with you. And this is, this is a principle. Jesus is introducing us to the Father. Watch this. Because what we behold, we will always become. 
whatever I'm beholding, then I'm becoming that thing. You say, well, I don't know if I'm beholding anything. Well, you're beholding something. Tell you what, I'm a little worried because I'm afraid this principle is not just a church principle. It's a, it's a creation principle. What you behold, you become. And I'm kind of concerned that people are going to turn into like blue Fs, you know, because if you behold Facebook too long, people just be walking around like, you know, <laughs> just like, what have you been beholding? I don't know. I just look like a Facebook now, or, right? Because you, you become what you behold, yes. right? And that's why, that's why we want to behold the names of God. Because we want to behold who God is. Watch this. Here's what I want to say to you today. We don't want to behold. I wrote it down. And when I I wrote it down, I thought it was really good. So I'm going to make sure I read it right. Is that okay? It's over here at the end. You see, I had to go all the way to the end for this, all right? Where is it at? I can't find it, Pastor Kathy. Help me out. I got it. She said, write it on paper. You ready? They got this. They don't know what I'm about to say. They're so lost up there in the media room. They're scrambling right now. They don't know where he is in his notes. God tells us his names, not just so that we can unwrap them for ourselves, but so that we can behold them and receive grace to become those divine realities in the world. Now, I told you that was worth finding. Amen. I wrote that down. I thought, that's pretty good right there. I'm going to say the Holy Spirit really helped me with that sentence. So, so here's what I want to say to you. The, the last thing that we would need to do in this, in this Christmas season is to say, whoo, look what's unwrapped the name of Jesus. It's just good for us. Glory to God. No, 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 no. You're missing the most important part. You unwrap the names of God so that you behold the the wisdom of God, and watch this, as you behold the wisdom of God, you start to become an embodiment of the wisdom of God so that now out here in your life, God will send you to people who need his wisdom and you won't just be able to tell them about God, you'll be able to be the wisdom of God for them. You behold the mightiness of God so that you get strong. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Now, why do you need to renew your strength? Not just for you, but if you spend 15 minutes waiting on the Lord, then God can send you anywhere and somebody can be weak and downtrodden and run over with life. And you can say, I got a little extra for you today and I know where it came from. I can become the strength of God. I behold the everlasting Father so that I can become an embodiment of the Father heart of God. And when I run into people in my everyday life, I can find the grace that they need. And I don't have to just tell them or give them a track or tell them some verse. I can really dive into their life and find out what's going on and unveil the heart of God for them. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to have the Bible memorized. You don't, all you've got to do is be like Sarah. All you got, I mean, Hagar. All you got to do is say, guess what? I was in a wilderness. I was distraught. And I know I found a God who sees me. And I want to tell you about the God who sees. 
You see, we miss it all when we think, man, the spiritual people, the smart people, the studied people, the, the, the supernatural people, they need to do. No, 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 no. God's looking for some Hagar. God's looking for some people who think they're at the bottom. And he's ready to reveal yourself, himself to any of us because he wants us to be representations of who he is. Can I say it to you like this? To be like Jesus is simply to be a faithful representation of what God is like. So now i got to get down in the nitty-gritty with you, all right? So what is it like to be God when someone cuts you off in traffic? I felt that one right there. Somebody just walked out. I'm just kidding. They didn't. I'm just kidding. What is it like to be God when you got your cart and you're in aisle nine and you're clearly next, but somebody just slides right in front of you right there? What is it like? What does it mean to be like Jesus? See, when we say we're going to be the wisdom of God, it doesn't mean we're going to be the smartest guy in the room. Remember, God's wisdom is countercultural, it's cruciform, and it's contrary to conventional wisdom. So that means that the wisdom of God just might be taking the humble road on aisle nine and saying, hey, go ahead. I'm not in a hurry. God bless you. You just have a good, good week with your family. And they go, man, I thought they were about to cuss me out. And you just surprise them. You know, how, you know how you're really being like God is when you surprise people. Because God loves to surprise people. And if you're, if you're just operating in the ways of the world and doing what everybody else does, you're not going to surprise anybody. You're not going to get anybody's attention. And you're not going to get any good opportunities to introduce anybody to a new view of what God is like. But if you let him, God wants to use you. Come on, guys. If you can, I thought you guys were already on your way. Christmas is not just something to be celebrated. It's something to be experienced and something to be shared with our neighbors. So I want to I tell you this, you know, Advent is the, is, the, is, the, is the season that we talk about in pre- preparation for Christmas. I want you to shift from observing the Advent of God to becoming the Advent of God. Could you make a mindset shift and say this week from now till Christmas, I'm not just going to think about that God's coming, but I'm going to become. How, how could I be the coming of God into someone's life? When I go to Sam's next time, how could I find a creative way just to be? And I don't have to be crazy and super spiritual to do it. I might just need to be generous and kind, patient and loving. I might just need to pay attention a little bit more than I do. And say, God, would you let your, the heart of the everlasting Father shine through me today. You see, I want this Christmas season for us at the gate, when we unwrap the names of Jesus, I want us to come out of there like a child at Christmas saying, let me show you the toy I got for Christmas. Let me show you what I found out about God. He is an everlasting Father. I can't wait to show you my new toy. I can't wait to show you this new. You see what I'm saying? There's a childlike expectancy that moves us into mission so that we recognize I want to be like Jesus. I don't want to be an elder brother that stays in the house, but I want to get out in the highways and the byways, and I want to embody the name of God in Oklahoma City right now this week. And I believe if we'll do that, 
our hearts, our lives will overflow with more joy, more strength, more peace, more everything that we need. Because like I said, here's what you need to do as a, as a Christ follower is you need to go every day and get what you need from God. Give me this day my daily bread. And you know what God will do? He'll give you enough for you and a little bit extra. And you, what you do with that extra is you don't store it up. You go find somebody to give it to. And then you go back the next morning and you say, God, give me my daily bread. And every time Jesus did that, Brother Ron, you know what there was? Twelve basketfuls left over. Because Jesus will always give you a little bit extra. But that bread's going to go bad. You better give it to somebody. Then come back to Jesus. Come back to the everlasting Father and say, Lord, I need a little bit more for today. Because I don't want to just observe and I don't want to just know. I want to embody. I want to be the revelation.